You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday edition of the Talking About podcast. I'm Sean Kennedy. With me this week, I'm happy to have Liberty Bowlers and many other outlets, Jackson Frank. Jackson, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. How are you, Sean? I'm great. Um, Thanks for joining me this week. We were just talking offline. And I'm happy to have you because typically it's it's Dave and myself, and it's a very homerific Sixers slanted viewpoint. And while you do cover the Sixers first here at Liberty Ballers, you're also... You have a wider scope of the league. You're doing work for other sites, for other teams, and you watch. Well, I'll ask you, how much Sixers would you say as a percentage is your is your overall viewing diet of the league? Um, I would say close to 25%. I, I, I watch almost every Sixers game. I can just, there's some games where, you know, it I doesn't feel like, you know, like when a lot of the stars are missing or whatever, it doesn't feel like it'll necessarily enhance my, you know, my understanding of the team. So I've, you know, missed a few games over the last couple of years, but um, I would say about 25% you know, they played 41. Now I've caught, I'm a little, I'm a couple of games behind, but I've seen 37 or 38, I think. So um, yeah, I would say about 25% in you know, the last couple of years, but maybe a little less, maybe a little more. Okay. So you're catching nearly all the games for the Sixers, <laughs> but also, three times as many games for the rest of the league. So you have a good idea, better idea than me anyway, what's going on elsewhere. So wanted to get a good zoom out perspective. And I thought you were a, a great person to have on this week um, because the Sixers are now at the midpoint of the season. They played 41 games. They're 25 and 16. So this is a, a perfect opportunity to kind of take stock of where the team is um, and, and kind of zoom out a little bit. So the first thing I want to ask you, Jackson, Sixers 25 and 16. They're currently in fifth place in the Eastern Conference. Based upon your preseason expectations for this team, would you say the Sixers have met them? They're below where you thought they'd be, or this is basically exactly where you would expect them to be? I think it's about where I'd expect them. I I think my general idea was that like I thought they could get to like you know kind of flirt with second best team. I like I just think the Celtics are you know, the, the class of the East and obviously that, you know, that's kind of been affirmed at least through the halfway point. Um, and I thought, but I thought like they could get to, you know, a level where the Bucks were at. I didn't know what to make of the Nets. I don't think anyone did. Obviously the Nets, you know, Katie injury notwithstanding or withstanding, whatever, whatever the proper phrase is there. <laughs> um, you know, I've looked quite good as well, but I think the Sixers for the most part have looked solid. I think you like, there's a couple of different ways you could say, okay, they're 25 and 16, but you've had, you know, your three best players each missed, you know, anywhere from about a third of the year, to, you know, 20%, 25%, um, and they're still in place for 51. That's great. But then you go and look at this remaining schedule, and according to the tank is on, they have the hardest remaining schedule in terms of opponent win percentage at, uh, you know, five, 
0.532. And still three more games against the, the Celtics, two more against the, the Nuggets, another against the Grizzlies, three against the Nets, two against the Bucks, two against the Cavs. You know, we're done with the Thunder. And obviously the Thunder, we split that series against the Thunder. Um, or they split that series, whatever you want to say. Um, and so, yeah, so I think kind of about what I expected, right? That makes sense in the sense that, you know, they've had some injuries, but they've also had a pretty favorable schedule and it's going to be a, a tough one. I know they have a pretty grueling, was it March or April to, to close the year? Where, you know, the last few years they've often had a, a pretty favorable closing stretch. So that's not the case this year. Yeah, it's, I remember years past, it felt like uh, they closed the game out with two games against Detroit, seemingly, every <laughs> final week of the regular yeah, season. Yeah, maybe the Hornets in there or some, yeah. somewhere in there late. But yeah, not not the case this year. Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I feel like I, I had the Celtics and the Bucks in a tier above them coming into the season, and I thought, well, maybe the Bucks could slip a bit with the Middleton injury, but I, I think they've kind of performed to expectations. Um, Brooklyn, as you said, I think an enigma was a proper term. Like no one, that was a real mystery box, what they were going to get. And they've kind of been a mystery box team. Like they, they started off struggling and then suddenly they, they couldn't lose. And now who knows with the, the KD injury, what's going to transpire for them in the, the weeks to come. But yeah, just kind of all over the place with them. And they're sitting second in the East. Um, I think Cleveland has probably taken the leap a bit quicker than many anticipated. I think the Donovan Mitchell acquisition, while they that everyone recognized that certainly accelerated their timeline. Like what would, people were concerned, like oh, what's the fit with him and Garland as far as like defensively? But with their their front court, they've they've made up for those concerns. And Mitchell looks like a a weight has been lifted off his shoulders a bit, and he certainly seems happy in his his new locale. And him and Garland have been dominant offensively so just everything clicking there um so yeah i thought coming into the season like four to five maybe three if things broke right for the sixers that was kind of the range and i think cleveland jumping ahead maybe miami being a bit below where we thought that's other than that i think everything's kind of where we thought going into the season so no big surprise there um, in my in my opinion, it seems like you kind of agree. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you know, I think aside from Boston, like everyone, you know, I think it's it's kind of you know, Miami. I think you can still have some hope that they'll they'll figure it out. But I think it's kind of a a five a five team tier right in the top of the East. I think you know, like I said, Boston is is there, but I think everyone else is kind of on similar footing. Honestly, I I think Brooklyn's been really impressive, but I do worry about kind of how versatile they can be in terms of defense. They're just a really small team that can't rebound very well. The Sixers are, you know, kind of this, in some, some sense they're very small besides Joel. I think Cleveland's probably a wing defender, a wing shooter short. Milwaukee, I don't know. Like, they're 25th in offensive rating, which is just, I know that Middleton's missed a lot of time, but that's that's pretty dreadful. So I think everyone is really, really flawed outside of Boston. I think Boston has its own issues, but they're much less uh, pervasive than, than everyone else. I think Philadelphia is right in that tier where with the right deadline move and maybe some internal development and, and whatnot over the second half of the regular season, they can maybe, you know, just solidify themselves as, you know, a top two or three team, but everyone else is kind of, you know, jockeying for that, that second spot. Yeah. It's, it feels like one of those years where it just, how the playoff bracket breaks out and whether the particular path lends itself to advantageous matchups for a particular team. will will factor into it a lot versus some years. It's just like, well, these are clearly the two best teams and they're going to, they're going to find their way no matter what. But I, I think there's a lot of a could beat B, but 
might lose to C, but C could beat B, you know, that 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 whole thing. Um just based on matchups when the playoffs come out. But I, I agree Boston's the most complete. They have the, the fewest holes. Um and they their their kind of overall roster construction lends itself to like going up against any different matchups and still finding themselves in in a competitive situation. So um yeah, I, I agree with you that they're kind of a, a class above everyone else right now. Which, I mean, kudos to them. I mean, they they certainly had their share of question marks coming into the season with the coaching upheaval and, um, every you know it, it's hard to come off a finals loss and or and kind of uh, you know bounce back and maintain that level of focus. There could be a, a bit of a letdown, but they, you know they've they've done their job so far and they're you know three games up on on the Nets and look to be right there as the the class of the East right now. So well done by the Boston as, as much as it pains Sixers fans to have to admit it. <laughs> I feel, yeah. I feel like Sixers fans had to say that a lot, a lot of decade. Well, well done by Boston <laughs> as much as it pain as much as it pains insert Sixers fans name here. Yes, exactly. Um, all right. So that, that's from a team perspective. Um, and you, you mentioned, you mentioned the deadline. We're going to talk about that a little later and what might be areas they might want to focus on. Um, but let's, Zoom into a player perspective. All-star voting is out right now as far as the fan voting. So Joel Embiid, after the first set of fan votes were in, he was in the top three for the front court vote. Um, right now, he's fallen below Jason Tatum to number four as far as front court voting is concerned. Um, obviously, the fan vote is only 50% of it, um, and media and player voting makes up 25% apiece. So it's not the whole picture. Uh, and of course, you know, if you're an all-star reserve, that's, there's no shame in that, but wanted to ask you Sixers fans very much in their feelings about Embiid being an all-star starter from a more objective perspective. Do you feel like he is worthy of being one of those top three spots in the East as far as front court's concerned? I, I I would right now have him over Giannis. I think he I think like KD for me, you know, it'll it'll, it'll become different you know, as KD starts to miss more games. But KD for me is still, like I he's been my MVP pick so far. I think he's been the you know the best player in the NBA, so he's obviously there. Um, and then Tatum, you know, I just I think he's been right there as well. The the, the thing that's really holding Embiid back compared to those two guys, you know, where because I, I I think on a per game basis, I think Embiid's been better than Tatum and just. Maybe a little less, maybe not quite as good as KD, but you know, they kind of split in hairs. But the big thing is KD's KD's played fourteen hundred minutes. Tatum's played almost fifteen hundred minutes. Embiid's just you know cro- crossed a thousand. I know, like, I think that's just a tough thing to make up. Like almost four hundred minutes for you know less than fewer than KD and almost five hundred minutes fewer than, than Tatum. That's a lot of games. That's you know roughly fourteen games, thirteen games. You know, and through. 41, you know, total, that, that's a ton. Whereas with Giannis, I think Giannis has played about uh, just under 1,200. So I think on a per-game basis, I think that's, you know, it's, like I think Embiid's been a little better. His sc- he's scoring the ball better. I know it's a better offensive environment. I think his defense, they've both been kind of up and down at times in terms of their um, their kind of what's the kind of the proper rotations as a, as a help side defender, things like that. So um, I just prefer Embiid a little bit there. But obviously, you know, Giannis has, has quite the, uh, you know, the – leg up in fan voting and then i just think you know media and players probably prefer Giannis just because he's you know and this is this isn't necessarily fair but it's probably how they're gonna look at it right he's, he's a finals mvp he's won two mvps like there's just kind of some of that yeah. cachet that i think Giannis has over Embiid that factors in which isn't necessarily how things should 
go, but it is going to be how it unfolds. But I would have Embiid over over Giannis right now for that third spot. Okay, interesting. I, I might not have expected that. Uh, yeah, I think it's it, it's kind of a moot point in that maybe the Durant injury lingers longer than Brooklyn would hope, and it kind of plays itself out. Maybe he's not even available for the All-Star game. Um, who knows? But I, I think these things always kind of work themselves out in the end. So to put a dramatic level of concern into something that's still a, a month or so away is not probably the best use of people's time, but it's, it does make for an interesting conversation. Um, it, it, it's hard to split hairs with these guys. They're all playing tremendously well this season. I think people have often made the availability concern for Joel in the past, but I think he's put the work in and gotten better in that department. Um, in recent years this year, he, he has had a couple small things, pop up uh it started with the the plantar fasciitis at the beginning of the year where he was clearly coming off that and did not look like himself for the first week and a half or so of the season um he's had foot soreness recently where he's missed a few games and we're going to talk about that in in our next segment but it's just interesting to me that a guy who is leading the conference in scoring by a significant amount. Like he's averaging 33 and a half. Giannis is 31. So that's a, a decent gap as far as top scorers in the conference. And, and is also one of the top defensive players in the league. And admittedly, as, as you mentioned, he's, I don't think he's been at his best consistently throughout the year on that end of the court. I think it's pretty clearly if, if you had to rank his seasons defensively, uh, throughout his career, it's towards the bottom. But when he is focused and locked in, he's still a, a top defender in the league. And even Embiid on a bad day is still better than on, you know, two thirds to three quarters of the the big men in the league on the defensive end. So it's uh, it's picking nits at us to a certain extent. So with all that, it's interesting that oh, he can't even crack the top three for front court um but i think it speaks to the the talent level of the league and i i think the structure of all-star voting in in a lot of ways like why do we need backcourt i backcourt and front court or <laughs> there's these are kind of like nebulous positions like yeah especially, just especially with the way that Giannis and Embiid and katie and tating with all hand of the ball can all initiate possessions all good passers yeah like it, we'd like Something against a guy like, you know, nothing against the way that a guy like Donovan Mitchell or a guy like Kyrie Irving's played this year, but like, like if those are going to be our backcourt guy, like if those are going to be the East backcourt player. Like, I don't think they, like, Donovan's been incredible, and I think Kyrie's also been quite good this year, but like, they're not MVP candidates in the way that these four are. So the fact that we're having to talk about, like, like oh, I'm over here being like, yeah, the guy in Giannis is averaging 31 points, 12 rebounds, five assists, just under a block and a steal per game, uh, and it's scoring on above average efficiency in a pretty not good offensive environment. And I'm like, I don't think he, he should start the play is start, start the all-star game as an indictment on kind of how the format is structured more than anything against Giannis and the way he's played. I just think he's been the fourth best player in the East rather than, you know, a top three guy. But unfortunately, you know, as you know, they're still devoted to these uh, outdated uh, positions. And then you just like, I mean, ever like it's an all-star game too. Like, it, like Joel and Giannis could both be the point guards of the East and it, like, it, it wouldn't matter. They're both going to go, going to have a couple of court-to-court -court plays, right? Full court, coast-to-coast, -coast, excuse me, is the proper phrase. That they're going to have a dunk or a pull-up three, things like that in the All-Star game, so it shouldn't matter. Yeah, it's very much more of an entertainment 
product than a competitive basketball game until at least until the last five minutes of the uh the game is concerned and people lock in although i i, I have liked the uh the new structure for the all-star game in recent years and i think that's helped but yeah still at to your point like it, it's not like they're they're going to be running plays or anything this is an all-star game it's like just well i i i would love i would love this here if we get if we, can we get like an all in all big man lab out there can we get somehow on one team can we get Jokic, mb kd Giannis, and like luca or lebron or something like if you're not over six eight six seven <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe we put Tatum in there. He's like six nine, six ten. Yeah. You're not over like six nine. You're not like you're not allowed to be in, be in the closing lineup. They're gonna you know throw all those guys. They're like, that'd be kind of fun. Like at least make use of these uh, the, the new age of kind of how offense is initiated in these the new playoff and the new All Star format. I think it'll be fun to see. Yeah, absolutely. You can definitely have lineups of six nine and all and above guys <laughs> that it's still you know, works because everyone's just so skilled at this point. Um, mm-hmm. especially when you're talking about the, the best of the best, like, like this group. Um, so wasn't, wasn't something on our list, but since you kind of mentioned it, KD as your MVP favorite right now, I, I got to ask where, where would Embiid stack in, in your, your hierarchy there, as far as MVP is concerned? Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. I think right now, like it's, well, it's roughly a six person, race right you got in the east we got the four guys we mentioned then out west you've got Jokic and and luka right i think those would be kind of the six that you know people would you know not dispute um i, I think right now i'd probably have Embiid fifth um you know ahead of Giannis again I, I just think like and again you're he's just working from an uphill battle a little bit in terms of uh just like you know the games played where you know luka's over 1400 minutes you know Jokic is over 1200 over 1250 and even if like i just think Jokic has been better on a per game basis um he's just he's averaging 25 points 11 rebounds six assists a steal a game a block a game on 69 percent true shooting um you know joe's and joe's efficiency is incredible 64 percent true shooting i know he's, he's averaging about eight and a half more points but then you go look at Jokic and he's averaging he's at 69 percent true shooting which is just ridiculous i think it's almost over 11 points clear of league average true shooting so um i've had i'd have him beat fifth but again i think on a per game basis he's probably been about like third i would say probably like third i think you know like i think he's been as good as luca tatum Giannis, but i think katie and yoke have been a little better than that and they also have you know the the games played and minutes played argument you know over Embiid. so i would say fifth and i think he's it's just going to be he's just he's just been working from an uphill battle all season between the slow start and you know missing so much time to open the year um you know he's kind of going to have to per, you know, pitch a perfect game right like he's going to have to play what at least 70 games and that would mean he's going to only miss uh, one more, I think, if I'm if I'm correct, he's at 30 games played. They got 41 left. Yeah, and I don't and, think that makes sense for him in terms of gearing up for the playoffs and, and all that. Yeah, from a team so, perspective, you you don't want that. <laughs> yeah, and I think you think right. You saw you saw what NBA played 16 or 17 straight games before he sat out three with the with the left foot soreness. Um, so they're just gonna be cautious. And like I know that like I think it'd be really really cool for Joel to win one of these these MVPs when he's playing like this. But it's just it's just tough. You know, because he just he just needs a little more maintenance sometimes, and I think a guy like Jokic or Luka, who you know, has just proven to be a little more durable in their careers, which you know, it's you can take as a slide at Joel, but just the reality thing, I think any Sixers fan or Joel fan would prefer him to not have another one of these ridiculously weird injuries in the playoffs, right? So, um, and I, I'm not, I don't know if necessarily him playing all the time is, is related to that, but you know, it is a pattern, and I'm not blaming him, but it's just the reality that for some reason there's always something that 
that comes up that, you know, kind of prevents Joel from being in his peak form in the playoffs, unfortunately, the last few years. So, um, yeah, I'd have him fifth. Um, and I think it's going to be tough for him to move up a ton just because of, you know, like I said, the nature of how, um, you know, how the Sixers are going to handle him and how it makes sense for them to try to kind of maximize him and their title hopes. That's fair. And I, I probably have him in a similar spot. It's at his peak, he's played as well as anyone in the league, but I think he's had more inconsistent stretches than he has even in past years. And also the team is not, you know, one of the most dominant teams in the league. I think conservatively, you could say they're maybe the sixth best team in the league. Like, so should you, should you, should your MVP come from that kind of tier of team quality? Maybe if a guy's doing everything in his power to make sure that they're there when without him, they would be maybe not even a playoff team. I think that's kind of the situation you have to be in. If you're, if you're not one of the top teams in the league, um, I think that's kind of where the Mavericks might fall more so where if, mm-hmm. if Luca wasn't doing what he's doing, like are the Mavericks even a playoff team? Maybe, maybe not. Or, yeah, or, or Denver <laughs> last year, even right. and Joel last year, pre-hardened trade. I, it is it is really weird last year how it seems as though that one off Nuggets Sixers game on national television kind of kind of swung the MVP narrative. And that's not to say that I don't think Jokic was undeserving, but it just seemed, it was just really weird logic how they did that. And that's the case with all of these awards and and whatnot. As I don't like I the 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 process often produces like fine results in my eyes, but I hate how the process works works. Like Joel was a better player after Harden arrived, and he somehow lost the MVP award inside being the front runner before he arrived. So yeah, it just, just weird stuff like that. I, I don't, I don't understand it, but, but yeah, I got your point for sure that like, I mean, right. It'd be one thing if Joel had played every game and like, didn't, they didn't have the talent or he played close to every game, but you know, he's missed some time. He's, he's part of the, like him missing some time is part of the reason they're not in that quite, you know, on a 55, 56 win pace. So um, we'll see long way to go still. Like I said, if he ends up playing, you know, 37 of the next 41 games, I don't think makes sense for anyone involved. Um, then he could certainly kind of get his name in there. Like I think, you know, we played last year 68 and he was nearly one. So I think kind of looking at maybe 65 is the threshold for him. And so that would require 35 games, I think is doable. But, um, you know, if the other candidates are Luka and KD and, and Jokic, I guess maybe Luka and Jokic would be the only ones with the durability at this point. But like they played 78, 79 games uh, and they've been, you know, as good as Embiid on a per game basis, you're, you're in a pretty tough spot. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, I definitely agree with kind of your how you're you're viewing things there for sure. Yeah. My money would be on Luca, but if I had to pick one to say he's going to win at year's end, that's 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 where I'm going with it. I think I think his numbers, he's leading the league in scoring and he's top four, I think, in assists. And the the narratives there and the durability is there so far for him. So I think I think it's all yeah, lining I think, up for I him think to it's get it. Be, I think it's going to be him or Tatum, unless unless Denver just kind of runs away with you know with the West, which is you know is impossible by any means. You know they're. 28 and 13 playing really well as of late, but um, you know, I, I think Jokic could be deserving again, but it does seem unlikely that he gets a, gets a third straight. There just is kind of that stigma around it, right? That like yeah, three straight. MVPs, he, yeah. It just, it, well, it just three straight repeat. Like people just think about that as a, you know, like the, you know, top seven or eight player of all time. And I do think Jokic is going to end his career really high up the ranks, but um, you know, people just kind of, are going to wait until, you know, Denver makes a really, really deep playoff run or, you know, something like that. I know they made the Western Conference Finals once, but it's been a lot of early exits otherwise. So I'm not saying that's correct. I'm just saying that's how the, the reality of things 
Um, but yeah, Luca, they are playing on primetime a lot. You know, just had 35, 14, and 13 in a double overtime win over, you know, what is admittedly the banged up Lakers. But um, yeah, God, he played 53 minutes last night. I didn't even realize. Good, good Lord, get that guy uh, in, in a cryo chamber or something until they play next. And then they have a back to back starting on Saturday against the Blazers. So that's tough. But uh, yeah, I think it's going to be Luca Tatum for sure. Like I said, unless Denver is just, you know, running, running through the West uh, unscathed. Yeah. All right. Well, you mentioned Joel's potential games played projections. Um, we're going to talk about something that might prevent him from reaching that. Um, but first, we're going to take a word, take a break, and hear from our sponsors, and then we'll be back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and we're back. So, Jackson, you said from a team perspective, we don't want, or the Sixers would not want the uh, MB to be playing nearly every game down the stretch. You want those load management days in there to, so he's fresh for the playoffs. And at this point, it doesn't even seem like run-of-the-mill load of management. He missed a few games with the left foot soreness. And even as recently as Thursday night's game against the Thunder, we saw midway through the game, Joel's limping up and down the court. He insists he's fine. It's just something he has to kind of like play through. But how how much do you feel this should be a level of concern for for Joel and the team right now? Yeah, I I, I just don't I, I don't know. Like it just it it's like I mean, this is not a slight at Joel or anything. It's just it's like it's just there's always something going on, right? And I'm not I'm not saying that in a negative way. It's just like the the way he plays is kind of this ball handling seven foot seven two guy who weighs two hundred and seventy seventy five pounds or whatever is going to put a lot of force on your lower body and you couple that with the fact he already you know he missed you know two years with lower body injuries like it just seems like it's gonna, something's going to stay with him so um, I think you know on a day to day basis I'm not overly concerned because Jewel has shown a willingness to play through things um, and, and a want to play through things but I think bigger picture yeah there should be a little bit of concern i think the hope would be that like you're just able to steal days here and there but like as we mentioned earlier the Sixers have a really tough second half of the year and they're you know about to embark on a west coast road trip against you know some good teams i know the jazz have been struggling as of late but they still got a really dynamic offense um you know the blazers struggle as of late too but you know playing you know all the way you know as far away as you can from philadelphia basically is always tough you got the lakers who maybe ad's back they've been playing better as of late the Clippers are all. I don't. They, they, do they play the Clippers on this this trip? I think they do, right? Maybe I'm wrong. I would imagine they do. But no, they I, play I, Kings. I can check that. Yeah, I would. I would imagine they're not doing two separate trips to, trips to LA. I would. I would hope for everyone's sake on that team or not, <laughs> but they play the Kings. So um, yeah, they yeah, play the I, they play the Lakers and the Clippers. Um, 
yeah. two nights apart. So yeah, yeah. they're staying in LA um, for a few days. As an aside, it always feels like these this the January the January LA it always happens in January. It feels like the LA trip or something, or late December. I feel like the last few years, or at least during the Joel era. Well, yeah, you it, it used to be in December every year because yeah. Disney on Ice was at the Wells Fargo Center in, in oh, December yeah. around Christmas yeah. time. So they they always had it was called the Disney on Ice road trip. <laughs> um, and I guess that hasn't been the case as much in recent years. Or they they did actually have a road trip in late December this year. It was just it wasn't the West Coast, so. Um, yeah, that, yeah. That, that was always the case in the past of, as to why they had it. The Disney on Ice uh, road trip doesn't roll off the tongue as, as smoothly as the rodeo road trip like the Spurs have. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, we'll, we'll have to work on that one. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm not overly concerned. So like, I, I, you know, I've watched Joel, you know, enough years to know that like there's always maybe some little ailment going on with him and he still is able to kind of play up to his standard, you know, whether it's as a rookie, you know, top 25 guy. You know, the next few years, top 10, the last couple of years, top five or six. So you can go higher if you want. Um, but that's part of the issue, you know, with the second half grueling schedule is that, like, you don't have any more games against the Pistons to sit them out or, you know, even games against the Bulls at home. Or, you know, like, I know, like the Pacers game ended up being quite close. And the Pacers have been solid this year, but, like, that's a team that you still maybe feel comfortable. Obviously, they feel comfortable with Joel missing, missing it at home. So, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, just like this year, it's going to be a bit of an issue in the second half of the year. But, um, like I said, Joel, Joel's proven to, you know, play through these things. And it just seems like right now it's kind of a pain management thing rather than, you know, any sort of case where you could exacerbate the injury. You know, like I said, I imagine if, you know, if he could exacerbate it, he wouldn't be playing. So not overly concerned, but, you know, just, you know, because like I said, the pressure is that pressure that Joel has set, you know, is he going to be fine in terms of, you know, how, how well he can play through these little, these injuries. But yeah, it isn't ideal that he's kind of been dealing with something all season you know it seems like with his lower body and i guess maybe most of his career it seems like he's been dealing with something with his lower body but especially this year yeah um i my my feeling is they have about a month till the all-star break and maybe just try to get him a rest day periodically until then and give him the the full week uh i know i know he'll likely be playing in the all-star game but aside from that that one day he'd have the full week of rest and maybe that would be enough to kind of get over this particular ailment um because as you said yeah it does always seem like it's something and ultimately you want him healthy as possible heading into um mid mid-april to hopefully early may so i think they have two back-to-backs over the next month which isn't terrible so maybe just take take a day on each of those and maybe one other how they've done in the past where they can kind of create a a four to five day mini break for him by, by taking one game off. Um, if any gaps in the schedule allow that. So, mm-hmm. but like for instance, like they, they end that, they end that, uh, the road trip, you know, on not this Saturday, but the next Saturday against the Kings, like do you sit them out against the Kings and they don't play again until January 25th, that Wednesday is like, can you, can you give them a week there? They, they play their second to last game against the Rockets at home before the all-star break. Then the Cavs, but you know, it wasn't, it will be a big game for seeing, but like, can you just sit them out both those games and steal a week and a half of rest? Things like that, right? So just stealing, yeah. stealing games. And maybe you, maybe you concede one here, but you're confident you can beat a lo- lesser team because you have Harden and Maxie and Harris in the fold. Um, so yeah, or like you've got, you know, you play the Spurs on the road and you play the Magic at home the day before you play a back-to-back with the Magic or I guess, yeah, I guess two and two and three days. Like, can you steal some of those games? Things like that. So yeah, I definitely agree that you just got to be kind of really meticulous with kind of when you rest him and kind of trying, like I said, the word is steal, right? The steal rest days and trying to steal wins without him. So yeah, I definitely yeah. agree there that it's going to be a matter of really kind of identifying these, the soft spots and what generally is a pretty, 
tough schedule to, to, you know, close out the second half of the season or just have the second half of the season. Exactly. Um, all right. So as the second half of the season approaches, we got, in addition to the all-star stuff next month, we have the trade deadline, which will be coming up. Um, Sixers don't have a lot of flexibility in that regard. They're pretty cap strapped and don't have a lot of assets left in the cupboard, but I guess just abstractly, Jackson, where do you think they would most benefit from improving the roster? Like what what role do they they need to bolster or or what's the the one function a, a newcomer could could most help this team with? Yeah, I think I think like a, another wing would be would be useful for them for sure. Um, just like a like a, a defensively inclined wing that you can trust a little bit offensively. You know, I think Matisse on the whole has been pretty solid this year. And like, I think, you know, our, our own Dave Early wrote a really nice extensive piece about it last week. That was super insightful. You know, we come from, he and I come from, I think different perspectives on how we view Matisse. Um, but the reality is, you know, Matisse hasn't been particularly useful in the playoffs for two or three years running now. So I don't think you want to like, like it'd be, I, I get the idea of playing him more in the regular season to crew wins and things like that. But like, I don't think he's a guy you want to bank on. Um, I do like, I think as well as shake has played, I think another guard could help just because I do have some worries about shake as a playoff guy. He's thrived a lot this year on like early offense stuff and bowling mismatches. And I think that's a really useful thing in the regular season. But I do worry about kind of how viable are kind of those hit ahead passes and, you know, attacking from the slot in the wings, you know, with 20 seconds left in the shot clock before the defense is set. How viable is that in the playoffs and how viable is him like hunting some of these, these inept, you know, bench defenders. And so um, I think maybe like just at least keeping an eye out for if a guard becomes available there. And then obviously, you know, the backup center position. Um, I think like this team is so small and devoid of room protection outside of Joel. And I kind of like my general kind of thing I've come to believe these days is that like, if you want to be an elite playoff defense, you have to have two rim protectors or two guys who can credibly protect the rim. And the Sixers only have one right now. You look at some of the best defenses over the last you know few years, um, you know, the Bucks two years ago with Brooke and Giannis, even the, the Warriors last year with Draymond and Kevon Looney. Um, you know, supplemented by strong point of attack defense, which I don't think the Sixers, you know, rival, you know, the point of attack defense with guys like Drew Holiday or even Andrew Wiggins. Um, they're they're not as savvy in terms of, you know, the the, the Warriors would often kind of show on ball screens with with Steph and Jordan Poole. Um, so that would be kind of my three big things, but I would worry less about the guard depth and more about kind of another wing that maybe kind of makes Matisse less integral. Um and Daniel has less. I know Daniel has integral these days, but like one of those two being integral is not ideal, right. I think. And yeah, they were they were hoping House would be that guy, and it just hasn't happened. Yeah, and it's weird because like I, like I was I was someone who I thought he made sense. Like I thought he was a good signing, but he just hasn't looked as dry laterally as he did last year with Utah. I know the offense is always kind of going to be maddening. I'm sure you could if you talk to Rockets fans, they would tell you all day about Daniel House's unwillingness to just take a spot up three, which I know Sixers fans are obviously privy to these days. He loves his slide step three. It's just kind of chaotic attacks to the rim. But um, yeah, I think another wing. And then like, if you can find a playable, you know, rangey four, I think that uh, that rangey four archetype who can kind of provide some offensive juice and a little bit of rim protection is really vital these days. And that's not to say it's going to be just abundant on the trade market, but just a little more rim protection would be uh, a worthwhile thing. I know the Sixers fans are going to say, oh, like, yeah, like Paul Reed's that guy. And I'm not someone who doesn't, I'm not, you know, an anti-Paul Reed guy, but the key here is offensively viable. And as much as I enjoy Paul Reed defensively, he is not a particularly offensive viable player these days or at, the, at this moment in his career. So those are kind of the two spots I'd be looking for with 
you know, to keep in mind, like how, and just assessing internally, how much do we trust shake in the playoffs? Um, yeah. I know he was pretty good in the bubble, but you know, it hasn't really been a playoff guy the last two runs. Um, so that's kind of what I would be looking at it like, but I think, you know, wing depth makes sense, but I really would be stressing kind of, can we find another rim protector behind Joel? Because there's been a lot of blueprints in the last few years, the last six or seven years that you kind of need two of those guys. And I'm not saying like all defensive level, which is kind of what Joel can be at his peak, um, but just someone you can trust to kind of provide some more protection because they don't have that outside of Joel. And if this is going to be, I think it also depends kind of, are they an offensive, are they an offense first team or the defense first team? Because I don't think they are equipped to be a defense first team in the playoffs right now, but they're, you know, the numbers bear out, you know, they're 10th in offense and fourth in defense. I know that's been a little closer, you know, or a lot closer since Harden returned. And they've, you know, as a whole, they've been a little more like it is kind of dating back to that Clippers game on defense, but um, yeah, kind of a ramble, but yeah, I think I would be targeting that, that kind of that rangey for compressed and room protection, but it's a really hard archetype. So more realistic is, is a wing is a wing that you can trust, you know, offensively that, you know, isn't Matisse or Daniel house. Yeah. I'm willing to trust shake. I think for eight to 10 minutes in the playoffs, I think he's shown enough mm-hmm. this year to, to roll with that. Um, I, I agree the backup big that can protect the rims, their biggest hole, but I, I don't think that's going to be something they can mm-hmm. really acquire given the market. Um, I think the wing upgrade is probably their best bet, but um, yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. A guy that I think makes sense, but I, I doubt will be traded just because he's young and on, you know, a team friendly deal. And the players obviously are trying to maximize uh, Dame's prime is Drew Eubanks. He's been a really solid backup center for, for the Blazers this year. They're closing with him at times over use of Nurkic um, can defend at the level a little bit, move his feet pretty solidly. Not like I'm not saying it's a premier switch big, but he has some, you know, versatility in terms of coverage, pretty room protector as well. So um if he at all becomes available, you know, for whatever reason, he's a guy that I would absolutely be targeting. Um, I don't think this makes sense either. Just like be but I think Amir Coffee is an interesting guy. Um, has some has some passing chops, can can space the floor a little bit as a shooter. I don't know what he's shooting this year, but is a pretty willing shooter when he was in the rotation last year with the Clippers again. It doesn't I don't really know what they could offer the Clippers because the Clippers are obviously trying to maximize their had a window if that exists this year that yeah. was been quite up and down but but, but they're uh, so deep the L, uh dave and i were talking about this when sixers played the clippers they, they just have guys that would be like really good rotation guys that don't even play because they're so deep so yeah like right there, like there I, is something where they could they could get one of those guys off the clippers if they wanted yeah it's just i would just be curious like what do the sixers have you know have to, to offer there but yeah mirkavi hasn't played a ton this year he's not really in the rotation because they're, they're deep and he's not shooting the ball well from three this year but uh you know last year 38 percent on you know over you know three attempts a game you know north of 50 percent of his shots came from three can pass the ball a bit run a secondary pick and roll i think he's a guy that i really like um good size can can defend you know some some stuff on the ball as well so like Amir coffee i think makes sense um same with your banks but logistically doesn't really align with given where both those teams are but um those are like when i think about where the sixers lack those are two guys i think could help uh, obviously two bench guys aren't going to you know address every weakness of this team but uh, i think those are two you know targets that if they're available would make sense to pursue but i'll have more extensive thoughts you know as we get closer to the deadline and you know more names pop up in terms of who's available who maybe the sixers are looking at things like that um but yeah just a mere coffee injury because i think could help you know fortify some of the you know the non embiid minutes or you know, the, the non-Melton or, you know, I guess just not on Beatman's because you need more wing wing defense um, you know, with Murkowski. If you're not going to have a beat in there, you're not going to have Drew Eubanks. So I don't think they'd get both of them. I just think it's too unlikely that either are available, let alone both. Yeah. All right. Good good names to keep in mind. Um, people always talk about the Sixers need to make moves, but I, I, I re- there aren't realistic names that really get thrown out there 
very often it seems to be like, oh, well, they had interest in Eric Gordon, but salary-wise, that's impossible. And like Jay Crowder, but what do the Sixers have to offer that every team in the league that would might also want Jay Crowder couldn't top? Um, so those are more more realistic, achievable trade targets, maybe. So good, good to know. Um, all right, we're going to finish out with... Uh, you put up a SB Nation reacts piece recently on Liberty Ballers, and it, it asked what player stepped up the most in the the wake of all these star absences for the Sixers. So, I think it's been around forty five games combined that Embiid, James Harden, and Tyrese Maxey have missed this year. Um, and I believe the names in the poll were Shake Milton, who really had a a brief star turn for the team himself when he was running the show, uh, when all the guys were out, um, Tobias Harris, who has kind of toggled between sharpshooter catch and shoot guy. And again, when the guys were out, he kind of shifted back to more ball dominant, um, version of Tobias we've seen in the past, uh, George Niang, who's been the kind of steady catch and shoot guy throughout his Sixers tenure and has continued to shoot the ball really well and um, has that quick trigger for them off the bench. And then DeAnthony Melton, who has been the top acquisition from this past offseason, he's toggled back between the bench and starting role and has performed really well both as a shooter and been their top perimeter defender this year. So um, what's what's your pick from that group for the guy who's stepped up most in the in the absence of the stars yeah you know like before you even set the out the outline sean obviously because i you know i, I came up with the poll question and, and you know put it together i've been thinking about it and i i they've all been they've all given different things you know which you summarized quite aptly um but i think i go with melton i just think he's been you know at times he's been overextended on both ends but he's been asked to do so much sometimes he's had to be a secondary ball handler sometimes he's had to guard really really good perimeter options Sometimes, you know, you've had to be kind of the guy that somehow helps steady their rebounding because he's quite good. He's quite a good rebounder for his size um, with, with a, I think it's what, 6'10 wingspan or something like that, 6'8. I don't recall exactly. But, um, you know, at times he's just at the bomb away from three like he was in that that Lakers game. I know they were, you know, they were only missing Maxi. Um, but, yeah, so I think go with him. I think he's just been, I think he's been the best player. Uh, or I said, I would say second best player, obviously, Tobias McGregor, but I think he's been stepped up the most in those situations. I think he's kind of the most scalable of the four. Um, but yeah, they've all been really good. They've all been, you know, key reasons why the Sixers are on 51 pace, despite, you know, as you mentioned, as we mentioned, you know, the, they're the three best players, you know, being in and out of the lineup at, at different points this year. Yeah. Uh, Mel- Melton's been terrific. I, th- I think it, it just, it it's kind of like when we talk about Bellringer, it's just how you want to view the question. If it's the guy that, was most unexpected. I think it would probably be shake because he was kind of maybe out of the rotation entirely coming into the season. And then he kind of secured that, that 10th man role. Um, but then he suddenly was back to like bubble shake, uh, playing against the Clippers when doc was coaching the Clippers version of shake, uh, triple double scoring close to 25, 30 a night for that, that brief stretch. Um, and aside from all that, which is not the version of shake the Sixers are going to need when everyone's playing, but just to have another viable guard who you feel trustworthy about having him as a as a two-way capable player in the playoffs. And we kind of mentioned, you said you might want to upgrade the spot, but 
I think even if they don't, you you, you feel comfortable enough now with, with Shake, and that that definitely wasn't the case coming into the season. Um, Tobias, we it's kind of just been more like a consistent version of what we saw towards the end of last year, which is awesome and it's been amazing. But if if you want to view it as he's been the most helpful in terms of like raw production then yeah I, I would get that but it's kind of what something just continuing what we saw towards the end of last season so it wasn't uh as unexpected um melton i, I could definitely see go melton because i was a bit of a wild card we didn't know quite what we were getting and he's i'd say exceeded all expectations just his shot making and volume in that regard um i think he's been as you mentioned, much more of a, a ball handling threat than we accounted for um, in the preseason. To me, it I was like, this guy can't be a lead ball handler. I just didn't see it. It was really shaky, but he's been a lot more effective in that regard than um, I, I, I would have anticipated throughout the season now. Um, and then, of course, the defense has been tremendous. So, yeah, I don't know where they would be without Melton, but they definitely wouldn't be in the mid-pack of the East. Um, so, yeah, definitely a worthy answer with Melton. Um, so I, do, I, I I will say, like, I think the shake one, given the circumstance, as you mentioned, kind of out of the rotation um, and kind of how well he played when he was a starter for eight games, you know, the eight games they were without both Harden and Maxi. Like, I could definitely usually be swaying. You know, average 21 and 6, 55% from the field, 45% from three, 96% at the line. You know, like he was, he was a, you know, in a different sense, but he, you know, efficiency wise, he was basically like Steph Curry in that, in those games, no volume was, but like, yeah, I think I could definitely easily be swagged and kind of where he was coming from and how big of a load he was carrying as a creator during those eight games. And he obviously has been good, you know, in the games, you know, Max also missed before Harden came, you know, when Harden returned, but, but yeah, I think, I think Shake might end up being my pick but i like i don't know you 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 convinced me quite easily but i think those the guards definitely be my my top choices yeah it it was really a wild stretch for shake like those the hospital six or weeks were like we entered a different reality briefly (laughs) it was it was pretty crazy um but yeah as of course they've all been all been great stepping up at various points um and that's that's why the sixers are still where they are despite the the game's missed total from from their their big guns so all right jackson this has been terrific to uh get all of this perspective from you and and to talk all this out thanks so much for joining this week um of course in addition to your work at liberty ballers you're involved in a lot of other outlets providing providing great content um why don't you fill everyone in where they could find you and your work yeah so obviously you can read my work at liberty ballers um i'd love to do more more work there if i could but uh, life demands and my job demands other situations as well. But I'm at Dime Up Rocks, the analyst, and uh, doing his stuff for Espionation as a whole on the main site this year. So you can find me there. I just wrote a kind of a, a mini feature on Franz Wagner, who was having an incredible year in year two. So um, go check out that out. I'd love if you could read that. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, Sean. I'm sure we'll uh, talk again soon. And um, yeah, you know, hopefully, you know, for for Joe's sake and Sixers fans' sake, we're we're talking after he uh, is making his sixth consecutive All Star game start. Yeah, that'd be that's what Sixers fans want to hear for sure. So we'll see how it shakes out. Um, but yeah, once again, Jackson, thanks for joining. Everyone out there, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. More to dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot 
because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.